This is Man Down, the anti-man up movement with me, Jamie Clements. Join me as I speak to inspirational people from all walks of life about mental health, masculinity, vulnerability, and pretty much everything else. This is Man Down. I am incredibly proud to say that Man Down is brought to you in partnership with Better, a charity raising awareness around mental health and suicide prevention through a range of exciting events and initiatives. Please head over to www.better.org.uk, that's B-E-D-E-R, or find them on Instagram at better underscore UK. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Man Down. It's great to great to have you back, wherever you're listening from. Um, I just wanted to uh, take a moment to, I suppose, check in, because I feel like a lot of people listening may may know me. Other people listening may not. Um, and I've never actually gone too too far into the depths and details of, of my own story, which I'm not going to do right now because that's not what this episode is about. But um, yeah, I've taken a bit of a step back uh, from the podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, personally, been having a tough couple of weeks, as I think a lot of people are right now. It's been a, a difficult period for for a lot of people. Um, we're recording this, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to go out, but today is the 8th of July um, for, for reference. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a tough couple of weeks. So I just wanted to, I suppose, be a little bit vulnerable to, to kick off the show and show that the man behind the mic, even if you do know me, isn't isn't bulletproof as as none of us are. So um, yeah, thanks for for joining me again. Really appreciate all the support so far, and I am delighted today to be joined by Richard Blake. So Rich uh, is someone that I've met quite recently, uh, and he combines breathwork, which most of you by now will know I'm a, a massive advocate of, um, with holistic counselling and biohacking. So a really really interesting mix. That I'm hoping we can dive into in some detail. Uh, Rich's mission is to assist in the upgrade in human consciousness and see a new model for mental health in the West that includes breathwork and psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Richard has a PG certificate in psychotherapy as well as training in clarity, conscious connected and soma breathwork and even a master's in commercial real estate just to mix it up. (laughs) Uh, Whilst working in the corporate world, Rich thought that commercial success and appearing in men's health as a fitness model would cure his depression and anxiety. Instead, it led to a binge eating disorder and a suicide attempt. And it was only when he discovered breathwork and ayahuasca that he was able to feel truly alive and free from his past traumas. Rich, thank you for joining me, brother. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, Yes, the weather we were just saying is a little bit dull today. Summer feels like it's finally here because it's raining and it's cloudy. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like home for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, we were just saying before we came on that I think the weather the weather affects us probably in a, a bigger way than than either of us <laughs> expected. And it's definitely something that I always realise when it is sunny. It tends to be more when it's sunny. I'm like, God, I feel good. And then all of a sudden I'm back to, yeah, feeling a little bit dull like the weather. Um, but yeah, um, thanks so much for joining me, man. I think um, I just gave everyone a, well, a bit Jane, of a... Jane, can I, I just interrupt you there and, and, and go straight into how you can biohack the weather and uh, your, your, your in, the English misery. So I, I used to live in LA. I used to own a CrossFit gym out there and um, I, you know, I've moved back obviously. And a lot of people would say to me, why, why do you move back? You know, the weather's incredible over there. And part of what biohacking is, is, is mimicking nature with technology. So in, in the UK, obviously 
a lot of people know about SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and basically that's low mood depression from a lack of sunlight. So what I have is something called a human charger, and it's basically, it looks like a little iPod, or an old fashioned iPod, and it shines really bright, full spectrum light into your ears. And I use that every morning to put it in for 10 minutes. And it's just like going out and seeing a blue sky and the sunlight. It kind of feels like as energizing as having a cup of coffee. And as well, I use something called the Juve red light, J-O-O-V-V, which you're, you're smiling at, I know is quite a popular thing these days. Another company, Red Light Rising, do, uh, do a good one. And basically that's medium wave infrared light. And that's kind of like simulating the sunrise or sunset. And if there are any biohackers listening, they'll probably know of Jack Cruz. He's one of the most sort of gung-ho uh, biohackers out there. And he says the best thing you can do for your health don't worry about any biohacks diets is just see the sunrise get naked in the sunrise and that's what i do every morning i don't go outside you know because yeah. kids around to get naked i stand in front of this full spectrum red light panel and shine it on my whole body it's good for collagen production in the face you'll see them in a lot of beauty salons it's good for for hair loss i'm starting to thin a little bit but i, I lean my head forward and get that on there but but the biggest thing for men is I've shown it on my testicles as well. And I have found a really profound increase in sex drive and, and, and just energy, vitality, mitochondrial fuel. Mitochondrial fuel is basically what that, that light is doing. So yeah, there's a, bit, a little bit of an intro of what biohacking might be. Absolutely, no, I love that. I think um, there was a bit of a craze, well, probably not a craze, it was just slightly out there. Um, of, uh, the, uh, what was it? Is it the perineum? The, uh, the, I think the technical term for the gooch, uh, <laughs> people going out and sitting with their legs up facing the sun. And it was sort of yeah. this new biohacking, sort of, well, not biohacking, this new craze of, in wellness, uh, which I think was doing the rounds a couple of months back. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Just to, I suppose a starter for 10 for people coming into maybe biohacking for the first time, um, just to figure out what it, what it is all about. And I guess, it's probably a good place to, to continue. So we talked about, or I talked about um, in the intro, sort of your combination of interests and skills around breath work, um, holistic counseling and, and biohacking. So it would be great, I suppose, if we could just carry on, on on biohacking and then delve into the others, but just a little bit of an intro as to your your practice in terms of your personal practice, but also um, the practice that you offer to, to other people in, in breath work and counseling and, and biohacking. Yeah, so just going back to the, uh, the butthole sunning, I think is what it was called. And yeah, people like Dave Asprey would be sort of in that legs akimbo position with the sun. I never actually found out if that was a joke or not because yeah. it seems pretty extreme, but uh, I have not practiced butthole sunning <laughs> yet. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, my journey started with, I thought I'd be happy once I was in men's health and you know, I went to the gym, I was depressed. Uh, the gym helped a little bit. Maybe you could, you could say I was a, an exercise addict, but then I was basically, you know, kicking my the can of happiness down the road. I was always saying, "I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I get my masters, when I get my promotion, when I get in men's health." And then, when I got in men's health, which is something I, I kind of sadly dreamed of for like ten years, from like a fourteen-year-old, I was just like, well, "Why aren't I happy now?" 
this doesn't make sense society tells me that i'll be happy once i achieve something once i achieve success and i just define success as the achievement of a goal and my biggest goal was getting men's health and it was just like so disappointing and at the same time my dad died i broke up with a girlfriend wasn't doing very well at work and just those, those combination factors stacking on top of each other uh, led led to an eating disorder binge eating disorder and also eventually a a cry for help let's call it and and a suicide attempt and and I think that's that's something that's really underplayed in mental health is kind of the stacking and this kind of amplification of of everything that that goes together there's um, a famous study that they did in the US in the 80s I think it was uh, Kaiser Permanente did it and it was predictors of addiction and they looked at things in children that predicted addiction in adulthood so there were these 10 factors and for each one the chance of addiction went up um, by a, a, was it like a, a magnitude of 10 on order of 10 so you know uh, it's like a logarithmic scale so I may not be able to name all 10 factors, but one of them was mental health in parents, divorced parents, incarcerated parents, uh, death of a parent, physical abuse, emotional abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, and substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And there's probably there's one more that I'm forgetting. But for each one of those, it just gets so much worse. And for, for me, in my scenario there, it was, you know, I, my dad died. I broke up, end of a relationship, work going really, really badly, plus my dreams being shattered. And that was just too much for me at that time. I didn't have a support network. In fact, as well, my grandmother just had a stroke. It was another really strong support for me at that same time. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's all those things that stack on, on top of each other. And so that was my, my downfall or my hitting of rock bottom, let's say. And thankfully, I found an amazing mentor, his name's Simon Matthews, he's a psychotherapist, and he was part of a group called the Hoffman Process, and latterly, the Path of Love, and and with his help, sort of his kind of, he came in right as my dad died, he kind of came in to stabilise my life in that sort of father, mentor, elder role, with a combination of these processes, the Hoffman Process and the Path of Love, which are these kind of eight-day intensive therapy, psycho-spiritual retreats that they do in the UK and all over the world and and are really transformative. Then that kind of got me from being suicidal to being functional. And then it was own, I'm still binge eating. I I really think addiction is is just a crutch. You know, it's self-medication. Some people self-medicate with alcohol. Some people self-medicate with antidepressants or not self-medicate, but they medicate with antidepressants. I medicated with the food, sweet food. And it wasn't until I found another crutch, breath work, meditation, that I was really able to support myself on a day-to-day basis. And that's kind of how I see the future of mental health going. I think it includes things like having someone supportive who can hold space with you as you, as you talk, i.e. a psychotherapist or a counsellor, plus a big kind of journey on something like ayahuasca, ketamine, MDMA, mushrooms, whatever becomes legal. And then a a regular practice, something that, you know, I guess psychedelics, I would say something to do once, twice a year or something like that. But breathwork you can do every day or you go to a big ceremony once a week or come for a one-to-one once a week. And the the, the combination of those things, I think is, is the way I'm seeing mental health going 
plus you know working with exercise and nutrition and, and, and lifestyle practices like that as well it's a, it's a, it's a long thing and i could talk a, a lot about it but uh, I'll, I'll take a breath there no, absolutely i think um I, I i would really love to come back to that because that is you know as close to my own beliefs as, as another human could poss possibly get in terms of the holistic approach whatever that is made up of i think um you know that's my if I talk about my big goal, like my grand vision, it's to be, you know, to change how we understand and ultimately treat mental health. Um, and that is through, you know, through that kind of holistic approach that you've just, just described. So I definitely, definitely want to come back to that. I suppose to touch a little bit on your own journey um, until we find a better word than that for, for the, the kind of life experience that leads you to a certain place. Um, what you know you described that that stacking effect and um you know i also always like to talk about it in terms of like a spectrum that you can just slide gradually further down as these things build up and build up um what elements you know really was it just that stacking process or do you think there were other factors that that pushed you towards such a dark place or what and also as well it's quite a, a poorly worded question i have to admit but <laughs> that but also you know what sort of time period did that that progress over was it quite sudden with your your dad passing away or was it kind of a you know a, through your formative years gaining this these goals and then it all shattering you know those dreams of, of men's health sort of shattering and um a bit of a reality check like what did that makeup look like i suppose if there's a very long yeah. roundabout way of asking that question yeah I, I think that you know there's so many things and i think a lot of it starts from from pre-birth you know ancestral healing you can look back to as far as, as dna for example the job of dna is to communicate the situation of the the environment to your offspring so my dad was born in fulham in 1939 and march 1st during the blitz so his dna was being formed during the blitz so he passed on the dna to, for me to survive a war to survive a war zone my mum was born in belfast during the troubles during a civil war in uh, in the 50s so she has passed on great genes to survive a war zone unfortunately i'm not in a war zone and but the bit which means i'm just hyper vigilant so i'm just i'm just more sensitive i don't sleep my limbic system is more activated i don't produce so much gaba um neurotransmitter and so i'm just i'm a bit more anxious it makes me great at like uh at, at football and things like that because i'm a good defender because i'm always aware of everyone else around me but for life it, it can come it can become too much so there was that plus you know, i'm not going to go through my whole childhood but there were there were things in there that have caused caused scarring and trauma and, and i'm a big proponent of trauma healing because i think trauma is a misunderstood word or, or maybe it's not misunderstood it's just the, the the meaning of it is being changed because in the past in the early 20th century when freud came along men couldn't get mental health problems it was it was a depression was hysteria and it originated in the um uh the uterus mm. and or the cervix I mean, a, a part of the body that men don't have mm. and then of course shell shock came about during after first the first world war and they're like why are these men um not not right it was because you know they had this huge war with uh, 
massive bombs and shells that had never been seen before. And then slowly they're like, okay, men can get PTSD, but it's only if a bomb goes off. And latterly it's been, you know, you can have PTSD if you're in a car crash, a rape or a war zone, but actually trauma is, is nothing to do with the external circumstances. It's about what happens on the inside. You know, one, you can have four people in a, in a car crash and none of them are traumatized. Or you can have four people in there and all of them are traumatized. And the way I see trauma is kind of like that Peter Levine's model, Waking Tiger, is you know, we have our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. Parasympathetic is our rest and digest. Sympathetic is the um, fight, flight, freeze. And we are plodding along in our parasympathetic rest and digest. Something like car crash happens, we go up into our sympathetic. Ideally, we finish off that cycle and go back into the parasympathetic by releasing that energy like you would see a dog or a deer after a fight they shake but we don't do that in children you'll see it but we're socialized out of it maybe we're, we're that kind of man up idea is you know don't tremble don't shake don't show fear you were in a car crash don't let anyone know about that you're fine don't let anyone else worry you've got to be tough and actually that energy just gets stored in there and it just becomes you know, really, really harmful and breathwork and ayahuasca and mushrooms and TRE, EMDR are all amazing ways of releasing that energy. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it makes quite a nice segue, I suppose, into, you know, the world of breathwork and latterly, I, I suppose, plant medicine as well. So for people who are less familiar with, with breathwork as a starter, um, you know, you, you touched there on, you know, the autonomic nervous system and the, the two different branches there and some of those effects that we see, you know, with trauma, but also just in the way we live our lives, getting hypervigilant, getting stuck in our sympathetic system. So what is the, the power in it? And from your understanding and your belief, you know, the potential of breath work to heal? Yeah, so breath work is... is the umbrella term for a lot of things you know Wim Hof uh, Soma clarity holotropic and conscious connected breath and, and transformational breath work which is one of, which would be most similar to the style I think you and I are most familiar with and this conscious connected breathing what it does is it puts the body into an autopilot reset mode that allows you to kind of defrag the hard drive and I think it allows you to get into the body get into the nervous system switch off the overthinking mind a little bit like how uh, mushrooms down regulate the default mode network of the brain down regulate limbic activity and instead of just constantly focusing on the external you know am I safe what's that smell what what do I gonna have for dinner um, we're allowed to go inside and be like, you know, who am I? What kind of person am I? Have I grieved that trauma? Have I let go of that anger? Have I forgiven myself or, or someone else for doing those things? Because you know, so much of our time we are spent on, on, on external things and so many things compete so hard for our attention like right now if you're listening to this podcast jamie and i are competing for your attention your phone is competing for your attention the advertising hoardings are competing for your attention everyone wants your attention but actually breath work what it does is allow you to go in and give attention to yourself and give healing to yourself and and that's that's a, that's a big thing you know give healing to yourself this is a self-healing modality and I think a big problem with our mental health system is it robs us 
of the ability to heal. It takes our power away. It says, you're sick, but don't worry. Doctors have the answer. Here's a pill. You, I, I fixed you with my pill. Mm. But actually, not normally the case. Or almost never is the case yeah. in my experience. Actually, you need to empower the client. And there is this, uh, something in psychotherapy, the theory of the active client, basically 80% of any healing or even maybe even more is, is just down to the client. And similarly with ayahuasca or breath work, it's, it's all the client. It's all themselves doing things. Breath work is just a tool. It's just a hammer. You can build a house with a hammer or you can smash your knee in with a hammer. Same with ayahuasca. It's just a more powerful tool. And the, I think the reason why ayahuasca has such profound effects is because no one wants to go do ayahuasca when they're not really motivated to heal. If you're kind of like, yeah, I've got mental health problems, but I might go and do ayahuasca. No one's going to do that because it's so difficult to do. There's so many barriers to entry. It's such a big thing that people are so motivated. People go there where I went to, where I'm going to be going, the Ayahuasca Foundation for, for my training on October. They, you know, so many times they get, well, I, I'm, I'm here at the Ayahuasca Foundation to do ayahuasca. And if this doesn't work, I'm going to go and kill myself because they're just at their, their wits end, nothing else has worked. And then invariably, pretty much it always works. Um, and interestingly, uh, there is a documentary with coming out tomorrow on the 10th on Netflix called Down to Earth, where he goes to the Ayahuasca Foundation, meets uh, Carlos, who I'll be working with and starting my apprenticeship coming up soon. Yeah, no, there's... Um really really good documentary i watched um just before we dig a bit deeper into that called chasing the present um which uh, there was a couple of couple of screenings of actually one that i went to hosted by the psychedelic society um who do some you know some great work in trying to normalize that that world um and that was it followed this followed this guy um who you know suffered with really really severe mental health issues and it followed him and it really resonated with me because it really touched on that holistic approach. It was him seeing his psychotherapist. It was him going to brew to an ayahuasca retreat. It was all of these different elements. It was him reconciling things with his dad. Like there were so many different parts to it and it all kind of just showed that the way that we're doing things at the moment, um, that medicalization of, of mental health is just potentially I'm not even going to use the word potentially. It's not the right way of doing things. Um, so yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not not working. I mean, things are just yeah. getting worse. I mean, exactly. you can you can criticise the mental health system, but you know, our whole system is is really yeah. not not fit for purpose. And and I really see is mental health is getting worse and worse, and the tools to stop mental health are not getting any better. Well. I think they will because I think this, the research is being done on on these other tools. But um, yeah, something needs to change for sure. Definitely, and I suppose um, there will be some people listening, probably a lot of people listening, who may have heard the term ayahuasca, may have spoken to someone who's done it, may have done a bit of research themselves, may know absolutely nothing about it. Um, and yeah, I'd quite like to, I suppose, just. I'm fascinated by plant medicine. Uh, it's not something I've experienced personally, but I find as part of this holistic conversation, something that is clearly very important or has a lot of potential to be very important. So as, you know, as someone who's um, 
definitely deeper into that world would you be able to give people i suppose an overview of i suppose what it is at at a base level the the intended effect not that there's ever one sort of singular goal other than healing um and yeah i suppose the the kind of process you go through with an experience like that yeah so it's a south american plant effectively or a combination of two plants uh it's dmt is the active ingredient uh, dimethyltryptamine and maybe people have heard of smoking dmt that's basically the concentrated form of ayahuasca uh dmt is actually something you produce in your own body it's something you produce in birth and at death and also in breath work and yeah it's a very powerful painkiller and also a hallucinogen and so with an ayahuasca journey what you are doing is well one you're going somewhere kind of like a pilgrimage so you've got that aspect of it there's an ayahuasca dieta to speaking about holistically we know how important the the diet is on mental health and and on the ayahuasca dieta you have all sorts of restrictions so you're not allowed to eat pork red meat sugar caffeine uh salt ice um oils and it's basically it's basically a super healthy diet of just basically vegetables fish and, and chicken also no, no drugs no sex with others or yourself you've really got to concentrate your energy to prepare for this thing and you'll do that ideally for two weeks leading up to it so i mean that's the first step of it it's it's, it's changing your physicality and some people say for, for some people that is enough to, to completely change their microbiome, which we know has such an important uh, impact on dopamine, serotonin, and neurotransmitters and happy hormones as some people might call them. So you would go somewhere. So I've done it in Peru and Costa Rica, both places it's legal in the UK. It is not legal in the US. It is not legal currently. Um, I think it will be regulated soon. I'm not saying it should, should ever be legal there. I think that's another thing to, to, just just stamp there i'm not advocating these things are legalized i'm advocating they these tools are put in the hand of licensed professionals like psychedelic assisted psychotherapists because yeah with with mushrooms which is getting a lot of research in the uk and the imperial university doing biggest studies in the world there no one's saying everyone should just hand out mushrooms because certainly for children and teenagers on the undeveloped minds a lot of dangers there but right now it's easier for a child to get mushrooms than it is someone to get alcohol so something needs to change there for sure yeah i just if i can just jump in on that as well rich um yeah just to sort of emphasize that uh i think psychedelics you know i think there's a very good reason we talk about plant medicine and you know the term psychedelics i think becomes a little bit loaded with its past um and i think it's worth touching on uh there's a great book by michael pollan called how to change your mind which charts you know the history of psychedelics and also the modern research that's being done and you know the reason i think probably the reason we have faith that that you know this might be the right time for it to come in in the right way uh is that it's being researched and funded and it's essentially being done in the right way and the reason that it you know all fell apart you know there's some amazing research really productive research being done in psychedelic um therapy in the 50s and then you know timothy leary and his band of merry psychonauts sort of took it to the masses and it does have that potential i think because it can be so transformative and so powerful that people like i'll just go and do this but you know 
anyone who has read up on psychedelic therapy the emphasis on set mindset and setting going into an experience obviously is so important so these aren't things to be messed around with i think is the message that is important to get across um but they have huge potential to when used in the right circumstances to be um extremely powerful so disclaimers over um just <laughs> just yeah. to get those out of the way um but yeah i'd love to yeah if, if you don't mind carrying on rich just around ayahuasca and, and your own experience yeah and, and i would like to add that you know that i think there's there's two sides of the, the psychedelic movement or this third wave there's the you know the old-fashioned conservatives of like you'll go mad from one drop of lsd or or mushrooms or things like that and then there's people like us they're like no it's amazing it's going to change the world it's going to save humanity but we also have to remember that they do have a dark side and in Timothy Leary I think we saw the dark side he became maybe you know a bit power crazy he wanted to put LSD in the water and that's not the first time in history if you follow any Graham Hancock stuff he will tell you about the dark side in the Mayan culture who were basically he said using mushrooms to communicate with some kind of war god and of course we know all about all the human sacrifices and, and things like that during um, the Mayan era before the, the colonial times there but there's certainly uh, there's amazing history of, of psychedelic use in every culture from Jesus you know, in stained glass windows using handing mushrooms out to, to people to um, St. Augustine and all sorts of Christian figures using psychedelics to help people reach God. Unfortunately, the Spanish Inquisition ended any of that. But yeah, it, it does have a dark side and we really need to be aware of it. And that's why we need to respect it. I don't think it's something we just go and do at a festival or go to someone's house to do who's not had any training. You need to be guided because I think there, I, I, I don't know how much I believe in this, but you know, a lot of people say you're opening up, removing the veil into other dimensions and there are things that can come in there that are not necessarily friendly. So you need someone, a shaman, a curandero, an ayahuasquero to protect the space, protect you and make sure you are in the right frame mind to do this so ayahuasca what is it <laughs> <laughs> we, we we talked before we came on that i think that needed to be done because it is it's a, a complex and you know pretend not you know there's not a huge amount of research that it's heavily harmful but we don't know enough to be able to say yeah we've we've talked enough about it please carry on <laughs> yeah so ayahuasca, uh, pumas, black panthers make it in their stomach, weirdly. They go, because it's two plants, you basically have a DMT-containing plant, which D they're, they're all over the world, but a lot of them are in the Amazon, and then you need an MAO inhibitor, which basically you may MAO in your stomach, which blocks you. If you ate uh, one of these DMT-containing plants, nothing would happen because your stomach would break it down. So you drink these two parts of the drink, and then you trip. And, and yeah, strangely, they found ayahuasca in in the stomachs of black panthers which is really weird because how there's so many plants all over the rainforest thousands and thousands how does the the puma and how do the ayahuasqueros know right we need that plant and then we need that plant i don't know but they say the plants told them <laughs> and so Basically, it's those two things. You go to somewhere, a retreat center. Normally, you would go for a week and maybe do four, four ceremonies. These ceremonies normally start in the evening. They're group therapy. I think that's another really important 
task factor is people coming together with that shared intention of healing and yeah you get a little bit of info about ayahuasca then you go into a ceremony you are clean in terms of your your diet you you're setting intentions there's a really big lead up to it and and i have to say the first time i did it in peru was probably the scariest thing i've ever done um a lot of people talk about la purga the purge vomiting vomitivos on our first morning we had to wake up at 6 a.m drink a large glass of lemongrass tea and then as much lukewarm water as possible as people cheered us on as we practiced vomiting so you had to projectile vomit basically and uh, in the jungle it was really like bonding thing to do mainly just to get people over the the fear of vomiting because most people vomit when they are on ayahuasca so when you actually drink the ayahuasca in the ceremony yeah like i said a lot of people vomit i've never actually vomited from it but i have had unbelievable diarrhea <laughs> um pretty graphic and as well i get other other things releasing trauma that are quite common in breath work which yawning and shaking and trembling and just releasing energy from the muscles and yeah you're basically in a, a maloco it's kind of like a, a hut or a casita and you are with people and the shamans come around and they'll be singing ikados these are their, these channeled songs that are kind of healing for you they're all in spanish and basically it's pitch black and people are just crying and vomiting in the darkness <laughs> and um you're you have your, your own internal journey it's very much about going inwards and in a lot of people encounter snakes basically i've had snakes wriggling through my body i've, I've met this kind of cosmic snake as well which is kind of it was like as big as as a planet and it was sort of just letting me know oh by the way you know you're using my essence they say the, this this snake is the spirit of the spirit of the ayahuasca and yeah when i was at a place called rhythmia in costa rica which is known as the club med of ayahuasca graham hancock was there as a special guest and we did this little q a with him and one of the questions was ayahuasca what are we dealing with and his response was, I think ayahuasca is God. And I think it is the only thing that can save humanity from itself. It's, it's, it's a claim. It's a claim. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super interesting. I think it is such a, um, you know, as far as plant medicine goes, being less accessible, I think to a certain degree, makes it a little bit more mysterious. So it's great to hear um sort of firsthand about the cosmic snake because i think it's just it's not something that you can you know you could take take a bit of mushroom and and sort of feel the effects but you're never gonna i think find a, a substitute for, for for ayahuasca so um no that's super super interesting and i guess from there um obviously you've you've been through this this experience and you've found breath work and I've been, you know, had taken ayahuasca and had these experiences from there, you know, to now. What has changed for you and how do you now manage your mental health from like a day to day? Because I feel like, you know, breath work is a fantastic regular practice and, you know, something that I imagine we both do on a daily, if not more regular basis. Um, but what else from like the day to day? What have you learned about your mental health? What helps you? So morning routine definitely helps starting my day with 
the Juve Red Light. I also use the Muse Meditation Band. And latterly, I've been using cold showers in the morning. So I wore a, into the biohacking, here we go into that, a, a continuous blood glucose monitor on my arm for a month. And I saw that with cold showers, I got such a massive blood, uh, blood sugar spike, which is kind of a good thing because it shows you that you're really stressing the system in that kind of hormetic sense. Hormesis, this principle of you put stress on the body and then it rebounds with more relaxation. That's how mouth breathing Wim Hof works. That's how ice baths uh, work. And that's how the gym works. You know, break down your muscle when you're a bicep curl and it grows back stronger. And yeah, I've, I've now being able to quantify the effects of cold showers, I find that really useful. And as well, I'll do that if I feel particularly anxious throughout the day. Um, support, social support. I think, you know, we talk about lost connections. And mm. uh, I think it's, it's such an underrated thing. I posted on Instagram a study on breast cancer patients. And they showed that uh, what was more important for in terms of recovery more important than the severity of their cancer was the women's ability to express anger and their support network. I mean, people's support networks help them recover from cancer. And I think that I'm also just finishing off uh, The Globalization of Addiction, which uh, is a really good book about how you can't not have addiction with capitalism. It is just a necessary byproduct because we're not all living living in our villages with our elders and our cousins and our uncles and things like that. Addiction is the only substitute for family, basically. Um, so I've basically downgraded my food addiction to, say, health addiction and breath work addiction and meditation addiction and probably um a little bit of shopping addiction as well actually certainly for something i i have to own is my amazon purchases are not good for the for my mental health and they're not good for the environment with all that packaging so that is something i, I would like to address because i'm laughing about it now but it, it is you know maladaptive behavior yeah absolutely i think you know I, I talk a lot to people about just self-awareness. So, you know, this is such a big part of, of working through those things is being aware of them in the first place and trying to understand, you know, that there are, I don't know if there are, I'm interested to get your take on whether there are other healthy addictions. I think addiction is a mindset, unhealthy, being addicted to something that is good for you. Yeah. What's your take on that? It's just something that came to mind. Yeah, so Dr. Alexander, who wrote The Globalization of Addiction, would say, no, there's no, there's no such thing as a healthy addiction, but you can downgrade them from something that's really harmful, like a methamphetamine addiction to an exercise addiction or religious addiction. That's what he talks a lot about in St. Augustine, you know, a saint. He was addicted to everything, but then he became addicted to religion. And that, you know, according to the church is, is the best thing you can be addicted to religion. Um, and, you know, people, there's all sorts of addictions, you know, sex addiction, shopping addiction, work addiction, food addiction, gambling addiction. Uh, it's just that some of them are better for capitalism than others. Mm. You know, gambling addiction. Yeah, fine. You can do that all you want because it, it's good for capitalism. It's good for progress. Work addiction. Yeah, great. As long as you're contributing to the economy. But um, yeah, I, I think something is gonna gonna have to give in the future because rampant progress is is well, yeah, I'm worried about it. Yeah, you and me both. I think um, you know we touched and have touched on throughout this conversation about the mental health system 
um it's just it's a symptom of a bigger systemic problem um so yeah uh, i am hopeful but um yeah it's gonna it's gonna take something big which you know there have been rumblings of the last few months but um who knows what will happen but i am i am hopeful i think is is the main thing Mm. um oh yeah on that i would say that i am hopeful too um with mental health and, and capitalism things i think it causes a lot of mental health issues but human race is amazingly adaptive and amazing you know times of, of strife create the most innovation and wars create the most innovation and i think that this covid crisis is bringing to light a lot of mental health issues bring to light all, all sorts of issues um you know the rebel wisdom guys say that covid is basically a non-specific amplifier a bit like um psychedelics and covid has amplified the mental health crisis the economic crisis the race issues and things like that brought them all to the surface and I think now that they're at the surface, things are going to change. I think psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is going to become a prescription thing very soon. Well, maybe four to five years in the US and hopefully we'll follow on soon. Technology, I think, is going to come in to assist us. I am currently wearing the Apollo Neuro. This is an audio feature, but yeah. it basically it's a little bit like a, a wrist strap. And what it does is it vibrates and it works with the vagus nerve and it helps to put the body into a parasympathetic state with vibration. The equivalent would be like someone just holding your hand, you know, you you feel like you need to relax. You can't relax. It's just, it's a touch therapy. And I think that's one example of a technology that is going to help support people along with many others like the sensate meditation pebble and yeah, blue light therapy and, and infrared therapies and things like that can have a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is that it's that case of um, until things change on a grander scale, which they may do or they may not do. It's about adapt- adaptation, which we are so adept at. So yeah, I think um, it's super, super interesting to see what's going to happen. I, I'm holding out a lot of hope for uh, psychedelic assisted therapy, um, something I keep a, a very close eye on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can definitely see change on the way. And I think you're absolutely right around the the amplification that, that COVID has brought us. I think in a similar vein, I was listening to an interview with um, Eckhart Tolle the other day, and he obviously talks a lot about presence and the ego and just talking about the ego in the capacity that it's made up of all of these things we identify with so you know you identify with going to the gym you identify with what clothes you wear who you hang out with what you do like all of these things that are quite surface level and covid has just very nicely stripped all of those away and people are having this crisis of ego having to look inwards without really wanting to we're all very good at distracting ourselves and and that level of forced um introspection is is quite difficult to handle um but i think as you said these periods of both personal and global uncertainty and and down downfalls a dramatic term but sort of downturn um tend to be tends to ultimately lead to, to growth in, in the long run so um yeah there's uh, a lot to be a lot to be thinking about especially at the moment 
Um, I suppose just touching on, you know, you mentioned the Apollo, you've mentioned the Juve, like there's a lot of little, little tidbits without, um, within the conversation. For someone who is not a biohacker, for someone who doesn't know a lot about biohacking, probably myself included to a certain extent, what, you know, what got you started there specifically and what would you recommend to someone who's curious? So I started with you know, gymming. You know, could could say that the gym is a biohack. Uh, then I got into nutrition, studied nutrition at Westminster Uni, thought I'd become a nutritionist, but then realized that I, I wanted to work with mental health, which you can do with nutrition, of course. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's many different facets of biohacking. Self-quantification is one of them. I'm wearing the, the aura ring, the whoop, which I think you're wearing is another example of biohacking. You know, it's, it's your neuro, sorry, your biofeedback, letting you know what it, what is going on with your body. Um, I think EMFs is another really hot topic at the moment with 5G. EMFs are electromagnetic frequencies and more specifically non-native EMFs are what we're talking about. You know, those are the man-made ones because actually everything from a tree to your heart produces an emf frequency and so one of the things i do is shield myself from from emfs i sleep under an emf canopy um, i had my house measured and they said that this is the highest radio frequencies i've tested in any house ever and it's because i'm right by the hammersmith and city line and also this huge warehouse that controls a lot for tfl so basically i'm sleeping in a quiet environment so that would be one way ems protecting myself from that um you know nature is, is a great part of biohack i think biohack can sound a little bit like technological but so much of it is like you know, cold showers swimming in the, the ocean walking barefoot on the beach getting grounding and things like that those are things that biohackers would do i think it's basically an all-encompassing health nut maybe 20 years ago you'd call us a health nuts but you know ayahuasca i think is, is a biohack the you know, emdr could be considered a biohacker it's basically just wellness but you know wellness 2.0 or something yeah yeah no i think that that covers it quite nicely because i certainly you know before knowing much about it myself definitely had that that understanding that it was more the technological it was the you know the gadgets to um yeah that hacking element but yeah i think i think that's a really good way of, of explaining it that it's just something that you can choose i guess choose to do either to your body or for your body that achieves or seeks to achieve a certain change in state or a certain outcome mm. um yeah, I think another thing to say is it's it's a bottom-up approach. You know, our medical system is everyone is the same. We have a BMI, which is, you know, we use BMI, which, you know, is a population indices, in, and we apply it to individuals, and obviously it gets completely wrong there. And, you know, we, we supply medication to people based on, you know, regardless of their, their race, age, <laughs> you know, stage of life. And actually what biohacking is is, appreciating that everyone is, is individual and there's this whole n equals one sort of self-experimentation thing that one minute you try the keto diet then you go vegan then you eat the carnivore diet then you eat low oxalates it's not trying to go around going everyone needs to be vegan or everyone needs to be keto or, or you know being too uh, dogmatic about it it's just like maybe i need to be keto for, for six months of the year and the rest of the year i'm go vegetarian 
or you go yeah i'm really sensitive to mold i have a really, really big problem with mold so i've had my place uh, tested for mold and so i'm taking glutathione to help with the detoxification process that doesn't mean everyone should take glutathione it just means if you're sensitive to mold which some people are some people aren't you do you take steps to to fix that issue for yourself yeah no absolutely it's um yeah as with mental health more broadly and health i suppose even more broadly it's around finding the t finding a, a wide range of tools and then figure out what works for you i think that's yeah it's kind of a, an overriding theme um perfect well i just want to finish up if i may with a couple of sort of more quick fire interview style questions um so i picked out a couple um that i wanted to ask uh the first of those was what advice would give to your 18 year old self i think i would say be more humble i think uh, you know i went through the the 12 step program overeaters anonymous which was was really useful and realizing how selfish i was i think that's a pretty common theme through addiction is that we are very, quite self-centered and i think so much of my life has been about you know improving myself you know meditating going on 10 day silent retreats or ayahuasca and going to the gym and eating the best diet for myself and when actually i think you know i think that, that's the journey of a lot of sort of philosophers that i've studied like jean paul sartre and maslow at first they're you know, quite miserable or it's about self-actualization but later in life they realize actually yeah that's important but what you do on the outside is really important how do you support your community how do you heal your community how do you build community and so for my for my my 33 year old self as well as my 18 year old self my advice would be foster community invest in in that much more yeah absolutely and it's uh it kind of leads on to the next one given one of the books we've already touched on but um if you had to pick a, a book um, to recommend to the people listening, um, why don't we do a book and then we can talk about Lost Connections. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you could pick one recommendation for the people. Yes. So we both love Johan Hari and I will go ahead and recommend his first book that I think has kind of just been re-released, which is Chasing the Screen. And you'll hear a lot about the war on drugs, a lot about the misinformation and you know this um smear campaign against things like like mushrooms and, and stuff like that and the first half of the book is all about the war on drugs and, and how unbelievably corrupt it is and then the second half is more about the therapeutic benefits of, of things like uh, mdma assisted therapies and ayahuasca and stuff like that so yeah it was it was a strange book in the my journey with it at first i was like right this is a really good book i love johan hari I found out it really interesting to hear about all the war on drugs and all those huge, hugely controversial and shocking things in America. And then I kind of put it down for a year and I just picked it back up and realized that there was a big shift in the second half of the book into the, the, the future of drugs and sort of you know, what policy changes that, that could benefit the world. So yeah, Johan Hari chasing the screen. Perfect. And and I'd love to hear your, I suppose, your elevator pitch for Lost Connections as well, because it's probably, in terms of books that I've read, had 
one of the i read it when i was in a particularly dark place in my own journey and it really did change my perspective and shift my view on how we understand mental health um but yeah it'd be great to hear i guess your take on it and and what it meant for you again with johan he does these kind of the two parts of the book the first is how bad mental health is how bad uh, antidepressants are how how corrupt the pharmaceutical industries are around um you know forging trials on antidepressants how they are less effective than placebo in many trials but actually you only need one trial that's successful out of 99 to get them in the hands of doctors and then all the doctors they pay off to give mental health uh sorry give antidepressants to so that bit is really you know speaks to the activist in me and then the second part is about um is, is about lost, lost connection i think he has these eight lost connections but the one that i'm really thinking about right now is the connection to the community and the lost connection to nature and, and something i really want to do is Maybe create a huerto is what they would say in Spanish, a vegetable garden. And they did this this study. He mentions this study in uh, his book about in East London where they've had people cultivate an allotment together, and that was their treatment for for mental health. It got people out in nature, got them in touch with the land, it got them in touch with other people on the allotment, and, and that combination of social connection with connection to, to nature and, and growing things was hugely transformational in people's life so yeah as there's many things but connection to each other i think is is what we're really we're really lacking and um yeah there's so many barriers to good connections you know trauma means that you know a lot of people just can't connect with other people for, for especially for men and you know people who are bullied it's really difficult for them so we abuse alcohol and we abuse our bodies you know we, we need alcohol to connect to each other and then we're depressed for a week because we have <laughs> a one week hangover and, and so yes i think there, there've got to be other ways to do this better yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would, yeah, couldn't recommend um, Johan Hari enough to, to people who are curious on, on any of the stuff that we've covered today. Um, but Rich, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, yeah, actually, one last thing before we go, um, before I forget, if, if people want to find out more about you, if they want to, um, you know, practice breathwork with you, I, I actually practiced um did a session with rich last tuesday which is absolutely brilliant um i'm a huge huge advocate of breathwork and it was amazing to, to experience it um it first time with rich um, but if people want to find out more about you where can they go so my website is thebreathgeek.com my instagram is the underscore breath underscore geek and facebook i'm at the breath geek there so yeah I'm, I'm probably most active on instagram but yeah people want to come for a one-to-one -one session i'm doing them in hammersmith i also do zoom sessions if you can't come to hammersmith and i also do group sessions workshops over zoom and, and coming soon in-person workshops as well oh it's exciting thinking about an in-person workshop i think <laughs> it's um yeah be a, a nice sign that things are starting to I don't want to use the word normal, but progress back to some sense of normality. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely, definitely catch you at, at one of those soon. But Rich, thank you so much for joining me again, mate. So that is it for today's episode of Man Down. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. 
Tune in every Sunday for the next episode of Man Down with our next inspirational guest. If you want to get in touch or if there's anyone that you think should be on the podcast, you can reach out directly on Instagram at jamie.clements underscore or by email on jamie at mandownpod.co.uk.